Before we go on, by the way, uh, have you guys met each other before? Actually, no. I don't. Well, yes, we have online. Oh wait. (laughs) Well, I guess so. I guess so. Uh, We've been online. There was a a thread many moons ago on um, uh, race, art, and essentialism, or whatnot. Oh, okay. We we kind of had a little back and forth. Oh, good. Okay. Yeah, yeah. You were you were giving me some. uh, some education on on, on on Ellison and and this whole idea of that was part of that kind of a follow on to the Gapeser thread way back when on the what yeah Gapeser the the Gapeser reading oh, okay right oh, oh oh right right okay mm-hmm. right so in All that right. regard we've met each other but right. we've never really met each other so it's gotcha. really it's really good to put a a, a moving face and and, and sound <laughs> to, to an end yeah, I agree Ed. thank you good to meet you man. Yeah, so. And shame on me uh, for not introducing you guys earlier. That's all right. Uh, more properly. Right. Uh, but I'm not I can just. Ed. <laughs> um, you got, we share a lot in common. In, yeah. Uh, interest in consciousness studies and, and Gibbser, uh and certainly in, in art, music, literature, right. philosophy, uh, spirituality, et cetera, et cetera. So. Yeah. Um, I think it's, uh, yeah, it's cool that we can, uh, we can all talk. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and funnily, we were speaking earlier about, about the fragmented nature of online <laughs> communications, which, uh, you know, just goes to show. So, right. uh, so we're recording right now. We're on, we're live and, uh, this is not going to be part of the podcast, but I'm going to start us off with some music by getting my screen share. And I might just let this go for for a minute or so. Sure. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let me know if you guys can hear this. It is June the 6th, 1945, and Charlie Parker with Dizzy Gillespie is recording with a Red Novel group, which includes Flip Phillips on tenor sax and Teddy Wilson piano. Here is a thing originally called Slam Slam Blues for Slam Stewart, the bass player, and later issued as Bird's Blues. My name is Marco Vinelli, and I'm here with Greg Thomas, uh, as well as Ed McGrew, and we're going to be talking about cultural critic, 
the philosopher of the Albert Murray. Uh, so, a little introduction to Craig. Uh, his work has appeared in the book of choice, Salon, Guardian Observer, American, American Legacy, New Republic, and Uptown, among others. Including the New York Daily for which he was the jazz columnist for several years. And as an editor, Craig has worked with Forbes Media's American Legacy Women Magazine and was the founding editor of the Harlem World Bank. In 1995, the New York Association of Black Journalists selected him as winner of the Critique and Review Newspaper Award for Marsalis Trumpet's Truth as his review of Lincoln Marsalis' first book, Sweet Swing Blues on the Road. And Greg was a featured writer in Albert Murray and the Aesthetic Imagination. Just then, a few months ago, the Library of America published Albert Murray's collected essays, memoirs, and Greg wrote a book called Reading Albert Murray and Trump, which was published in the New Republic and then in Metapsychosis Journal, which is what Greg So, So Greg and I go back. Uh, we've met each other in the uh, world of integral theory and contemporary spirituality. Uh, we share interests in philosophy, literature, music, and so on. And I heard a podcast that Greg did with Jeff Salzman uh, on kind of like inter integralness of jazz or an integral approach to jazz. I don't remember the exact title of it, uh, but. Um, that was on the Daily Evolver, and at that time, uh, Greg and I started talking about doing uh, some conversations. And uh, after he'd written this piece, we connected about it, uh, decided to publish it, and I started reading Albert Murray on, on the basis of this connection. I got really into it. Uh, I've been a, a fan of jazz and blues, I would say casually for most of my, my adult life, but it really started for me when I was a teenager. This, and reading the beats, like Jack Kerouac and Allen Ginsberg and those folks, and they were really into jazz. And through them, I got introduced to Charlie Parker, uh, who we're listening to right now. And through Charlie Parker, John Coltrane, Miles Davis, uh, and uh, we would go to you know, jazz clubs in New York City and try to imitate the beats and do that kind of a thing. But, you know, it's a, it's a, I'm, I'm far, far, far from, far from a scholar of the jazz, but Greg is. And um, I really um, been looking forward to this conversation for a while because uh, I think that Albert Murray, who we're going to talk about, has a lot to say, not just about jazz and the blues, but about the deeper aesthetic philosophy and existential 
philosophy that um, that he sees reflected and expressed in these artistic forms, and which Greg argues in his piece uh, has a lot of relevance for us today. So let me stop this recording here and welcome Greg. And Greg, I'm going to uh, just invite you to get us started by introducing us to Albert Murray, who he was, what he did, what he wrote about, uh, and your relationship to him, and um, what he has to say, and what's the subject of your, of your piece here, Albert Murray, reading Albert Murray in the Age of Trump. All right, I'll, I'll be glad to, to do that. Um, well, Albert Murray um, was born... Um, in 1917, so um, actually 1916. So his centennial was last year, and he was from Alabama. So he's uh, from the Deep South. And though he grew up in the midst of Jim Crow segregation, he had a very supportive. Um, family and neighborhood and community. And that supportive um, community is reflected in his work, uh, which is a body of, of nonfiction and fiction. Uh, he wrote four novels and uh, nonfiction works such as The Omni-Americans. Um, we'll be talking about that idea. Um, South to a Very Old Place, uh, which is a kind of a travelogue and traveling to parts of the South and North, engaging with different people uh, and giving his uh, accounts of those experiences. The Hero in the Blues, um, Stomping the Blues. So you see there's a lot of blues in, in his work. Um, Good Morning Blues, the autobiography of uh, Count Basie as told to Albert Murray. The Blue Devils of Nada, um, a contemporary American approach to aesthetic statement. Um, so that gives you an idea of, of some of the titles of his work, which dealt with American identity, dealt with the, um, the role and, and function of art, or what he called aesthetic statement uh, in contemporary life, but also throughout, throughout history. And he emphasized in particular the importance of art and culture um, over uh, an artificial definition of uh, human interaction based on what we know as race. So um, in terms of my own relationship with him, I met him in the early 90s. Um, I had been reading his work for several years, and after I decided to try my hand at becoming a professional writer, particularly uh, as a journalist, um, I decided to reach out to him. And one of the things that many people who got to know Murray um, will say and kind of marvel at is his accessibility. Um, and this is, you know, a great American writer of the 20th century on, on aesthetics, on American culture and identity. And, but he was very, very accessible. So I called him up and, and, and reached him. And he invited me over 
uh, I sat and spoke with him and we developed a communication and um, he was one of the great uh, mentors of, of my life, um, intellectually and otherwise. So uh, I'm very proud and honored to be able to talk about his legacy, uh, the legacy of his thoughts and work uh, with you, Marco, and thank you for, for giving me this opportunity. Yeah. Well, thanks. Thank you, Greg. Um, sure. Well, let's, why don't we talk, start with your, with your piece. It was called Reading Albury in the Age of Trump. And uh, just on the face of it, like you almost couldn't imagine two, for, for two more different uh, minds <laughs> the, 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 than these two. Uh, Albert Murray is a man of letters, right? In, in, the, in the sort of mold of, of, the, of, our, of, of a civilization that, you know, in its best expressions, honored, nurtured, and supported uh, a, a high level of creativity, of thought, of insight, something Ed and I were speaking about earlier, knowledge. Uh, and he comes out of this tradition, but he comes out of multiple, inter multiple streams of intersecting traditions, really. Yes. And part of his um, worldview and part of what he writes about is identity and about culture and how culture forms identity. Uh, and he saw the blues and jazz, in my understanding, as really important elements of a broader sense of, um, of American identity. And, you know, he did, we don't, I don't read about this specifically, but I would argue perhaps even global identity. Uh, and, and this is an interesting thing to think about in the context of the politics that we've witnessed in the last year, where identity uh, has been such a hot button issue, such a contentious and div divisive uh, issue, and I think Murray offered some other ways of thinking about that. Uh, so um, that comes in the idea of the omni American, right? Uh, right. Like what the basic idea there is. Sure. Thank you. Um, omni American is a another way of saying all American, but all American is a, is a term that is usually related to sports. Um, so he wanted to come up with a way of describing the same kind of idea, but doing it in a, in a slightly different and even nuanced way. So an, an Omni-American is, is kind of a meta uh, framework for understanding American identity. Um, it certainly includes your various um, ethnic and idiomatic identities, but it is one that is uh, meta in the sense that it, it embraces the variety and the diversity, you know, from a pluralistic perspective, but it has a, a national uh, framework based on the values of the country, the ideals of the nation found in what uh, he and, and his friend and, uh, and compatriot Ralph Ellison called the sacred documents of the nation, mm -hmm. uh, the, the Constitution, uh, the Bill of Rights, the Declaration of Independence. Uh, and it's based on these values and ideals that we have a lighthouse or, or a, um, uh, a, a star upon which 
to strive for a, a place that uh, we haven't reached as a nation. And it's very clear by the divisiveness that we see uh, politically and otherwise. But that still is a lodestar for us to strive for. Uh, and one that can be a unifying ideal for us to embrace together. If you're American, what does it mean to be an American? If you're American, what are the values that you live by? A lot of the protests we see are indicative of the lack of realization of the ideals of the nation. Mm -hmm. um, if, if you take another system, of course, there are, there are protests um, in autocratic regimes and such, but a lot of times those are crushed. Uh, here, protest and speaking one's voice is, a, is part and parcel of the very values of the nation. So your protest is an expression of your desire for something better. Um, and that's inherent in the, in the principles of the country. So Omni-American is a, is, a, is, a, is a framework for understanding those aspects of American values and meaning that we can embrace together. Now, it may, say, it may seem idealistic. Um, <laughs> folks, maybe, I think many folks just take it for granted. But I don't think we can take such civic ideals for granted. I think we have to have some type of basis for working together, for, for cooperation. Um, we're going to have always opposing forces. And we'll get more into uh, how that's represented an idea called antagonistic cooperation and heroism and such. That's to be expected. Um, at the same time, you need some type of, of unifying modality. Mm -hmm. uh, my, my understanding of that idea was that if I look at myself, right, who and who I am, what makes me me, mm -hmm. I have to look at my culture, right? Mm -hmm. I have to look where I came from, the media that I've been exposed to, the books I've read, the movies I've watched, the music I listen to, right. all of that. But then I also have to look, and this kind of can bring in some of our integral theory. I have to look at the systems, right, that, that I'm a part of. And part of our system is a constant, supposed to be, right, a constitutionally based one where we have certain ideals, uh, freedoms, and rights that are enshrined into the sacred documents, right? Right. I can't consider myself an American without looking at all those different aspects, the cultural aspects and the systemic aspects. And what I think the idea of the omni-American is saying is that you can't separate them out and become just a kind of limited, separate self-identity American. Like that more than an African-American or a, um, a Native American or any other kind of uh, way that you can slice and dice identity, you have to have, in my, you have to have some kind of horizon or context that's more inclusive uh, but it's not necessarily, it's not, it's, not, it's not about squashing that limited identity because that limited identity, when you combine it with all the other aspects and all the other identities, is what makes the bigger picture. It's what makes the, the culture. And so that's where jazz and the blues uh, come in um, because Murray saw in jazz and the blues this quintessential expression of like the contribution 
of um, of who the, the people who came were brought over at first as slaves who then you know were freed through civil war etc but they brought and they they manifested these aspects of culture that are not separate they're actually part of american culture and and also <laughs> that there is something unique in the culture that it has emerged out of that which combines not just the music and art and dance and everything else that that black americans have brought but also the enlightenment ideals of western civilization the great literary traditions of european um civilization and murray what's interesting about him is that he brings it all together in this incredibly eloquent prose uh with a kind of passionate fire as well like he's got style himself and right that's right um he's fun to read like i i really just started liking to read him just because he's got such good style right and um i enjoyed his sentences i enjoyed the music of them and well i just kept reading so um so i i read in particular the essays uh, from his book the omni americans as well as hero in the blues uh and then some of his conversations uh and you can tell in those conversations how open he is to the you know to just sharing his knowledge with people he's got a, this library and his cd's and everything and he seems to have an encyclopedic like knowledge of where exactly everything is and can That's right. quotes and <laughs> uh Winston Marsalis did a talk and where he's just, he's talking about how he'd go over to Murray's office and Murray would be telling him to go you know grab this book off the shelf so he, he had things he had a good memory <laughs> basically a- absolutely yes um So what's the connection here like where like if we're in this situation well you know actually I think we should maybe talk about one other thing first because this okay. is like a foundational concept right. and that's the difference between race and culture okay uh we've had a lot of conversation about race right and the you know election of Trump had a lot of discourse around about racism and about oppression privilege and all these other concepts and Uh I mean I don't want to necessarily get into all that because it's a huge conversation just in and of itself but there is a real important distinction to be made which um is important to Murray I know and that you and I have discussed between race and culture right. and that I think like when I talked I talked to my wife about this because she she's involved in various kind you know some resistance to the Trump and like that kind of a thing mm-hmm. and it comes up it's like having that distinction is really important uh, right so Um anyway, I want to just give you the opportunity to to share sure. it. Um yeah. Okay. Well, um to Murray, a race was something that you couldn't really use to have any predictive value about individuals. Um race was something that is based on phenotype, outer, you know, outer physical characteristics. Um but for Murray, you know focusing on the as the country does at least in terms of its ideals the end of the worth of each individual um he's saying culture is a much more um much better source to understand people as individuals and as members of groups whether it's remember of a ethnic group geographic um national culture which for him was uh certainly the environment of 
meanings and, and values and traditions that a, a group of people in a particular time and place uh, use to give meaning to their life, to give, to, to give them a basis for um, having some means of, uh, in the flux and flow and entropy of life, having something uh, that gives them a, a grounding, you know, um, as, as said in the in, in integral theory, you know, a we space um, to work from. But he also talked about how culture, and this relates to art, could be looked at from three different points of view, uh, three interconnected but different points of view. So it, it was a, a developmental evolutionary perspective on culture. So he would say that um, art is not just about beauty, art is about the quality of human consciousness. And that quality can be looked at in three basic ways. So you've got folk art, you know, very, very basic in its formulations, very strong emotional um, valence in folk art, very expressive, but it doesn't have the, 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 the technique or the, the technical prowess as does pop art and fine art. Pop art is that which is most available and accessible and embraced by masses of people. So popularity is something that we, that's what dominates uh, discussions and media is popular culture. The only thing about popular culture is that is here today, gone tomorrow. You know, uh, one of the nicknames for pop culture is popcorn culture. You know, <laughs> you eat it, it's, it's, you taste it, then it's just, it disappears, it's gone. So its lasting value is, uh, is questionable. Fine art, on the other hand, is where you have a combination of deep feeling, but you also have uh, powerful technique to express those feelings. So for Murray, fine art was the realm of, of masters of, of an idiom, of an art form, uh, of a field, and masterpieces that are created by those masters. And for him, that was representative of the highest levels of human consciousness. Mm-hmm. Um, so culture for him could be looked at in, the, in these three dimensions. Um, and like I said, that connects to, to art. Race to him was artificial. Um, one of the things I say in my own work is that um, race is an illusion. Uh, it's a fallacious concept. But even so, if you have people who believe it's a reality, it's going to have social impact. And of course, we can look at statistics and we can look at prison industrial complex, we could look at some of the horrific media um, um, events that go on with police and killing unarmed black men and that type of thing. And we know that race is real in terms of its impact out here. Uh, And that's because people believe in it and act based on those beliefs. I agree with Murray that 
if we were to use culture, an idiom was one of the words he used for culture, uh, we would be a lot better off to, to, to not fall into the trap of looking at a person and they're light-skinned, they're Caucasian, say, but what does that really tell you? Does that tell you where they're from, the level of, of intelligence or education? Does that tell you whether they're from Eastern Europe or, um, you know, or, or the United States or here, there? Same thing for black folks. <laughs> you know, you've got black people from Africa and then you've got different parts of Africa. You've got the Caribbean. You've got all of these different things. And if you look at cultures, much, a much richer basis to understand human beings um, as individuals and as members of, of groups. Yeah, I mean, that, that's, uh, for me, was profoundly, clar- you know, clarifying, I guess, to, and to really focus on that distinction, because if I become interested in your culture, then there's a lot of richness there. Like Absolutely. There, there's uh, lineages, uh, there's a transmission of values, of styles, of techniques, of languages, of idioms, etc. And you can, be, you can actually, like, enter into a dialogue with that culture where your own background, your own uh, understandings, your own ways of looking at the world can mix and mingle. And there's the opportunity for something new to arise. And that indeed is what culture is. It's always mixing. It's always intermingling. It's always creating new forms, even as on other levels, we may be clashing with each other, you know, because effective illusions or these you know ways that we play out our karma and our our uh understandings of reality or misunderstandings of, of reality so um i i i felt like that what is really powerful about murray's work and what i found so uh comforting about it or something like uh, like i felt at home really in it okay. is that is that he himself is a, synth- a synthesizer. He himself yes. is looking for ways to take a bit of here, a bit of there, but really the best stuff. Like he's that's he's, right. He has, that's right. He has a sense of quality. <laughs> like you brought, you talked about folk art, pop art, and fine art. And I don't think he looks down on no, folk art, pop not art at all. Right. But he sees that there is a continuum going from um, a continuum of, of extension, elaboration, and refinement where are the way that we, the way that cultures, the way that the people who have cultures and are in cultures deal with reality, deal with the contingencies of reality, the adversities and the absurdities is that they, they stylize it, they create form, they give right. it form, they give exactly. it Exactly. And we all do that in different ways. And, uh, and then, you know, we become identified with, with those. And, and then we have, you know, then we have our different cultures, but that becomes, that is a basis for communication. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, there are certain fundamentals. There are certain fundamentals of of human life. Uh, There's there's the gender reality. (laughs) You know what I mean? Men and women. Uh, There's certain biological realities. One of my favorite writers on culture uh, is anthropologist Paul Bohannon. Um, he has a book that uh, for many years was almost like a Bible for me called How Culture Works. And he talks about how we have a, a 
biological foundation for of, for human beings, of course, and that to use the a key phrase that you use of Murray's, that what culture is, is Bohannon didn't say this, but he did say extension, but I'm going to say extension, elaboration, and refinement of our biological inheritance. So it's almost like a prosthetic, Bohannon said, where it allows us to extend our capabilities through culture. And of course, that's that's through the education system, through the way parents raise children, and, and, and the way different um, ceremonies and rituals um, allow us to embody the, the, the values and beliefs of a particular group of people. Um, but the, the key thing about that extension, elaboration, and refinement is that you have a base upon which you're working, but it, again, I say it's developmental, it's evolutionary in its uh, orientation. Um, and it's a very powerful model to look at, and it is embracing, it is a synthesis. I mean, you mentioned a couple of things earlier that I, I, I want to bring back, bring it back to. You're right, he does not look down upon folk or pop art. His emphasis was the best of, of civilization and, and culture as he saw it uh, from all times and places. He felt that we as Americans are the inheritors of the best from all times and places that along with Andre Melrose, and who was very influential on, on Mary and Ralph Ellison, um, he felt that we have what Melrose called a museum without walls. We have, and this is even before the internet, <laughs> that Melrose came up with this concept in like the, the 30s, 40s, 50s, um, where we have access to art through reproduction, through photographs um, of, of, of all times and places. And as such, we inherit them. And as you alluded to earlier, we can interact with various cultures and art forms ourselves. And by virtue of that interaction, help change them. And that's actually the beauty and power of art and culture and the interaction that people have with those arts and cultures. I mean, take jazz, for instance. Jazz is grounded in the blues, which in and of itself is primarily a folk form. You know, you have usually 12 bars. Uh, it has certain, um, it has a certain song structure, harmonic structure, generally speaking. Uh, and there's certain idiomatic inflections in it. And it has certain meanings that hopefully we'll talk about also. Um, in terms of jazz, or jazz is grounded in the blues, and through the history of jazz, you have, uh, say, in the early part of the, the 20th century, you know, blues was codified by W.C. Handy, St. Louis blues, Memphis blues, and other blues. You had uh, New Orleans, that was a, a hotbed of cultural activity, innovation, and he says to where jazz began. By and you go through the 20s, Louis Armstrong helped define what jazz is through his improvisational might and his style. 30s, you have jazz becoming the popular form of the nation, uh, in which dances and the big band era was prominent. By the 40s, uh, you have the smaller style called bebop. We heard a little bit of at least the, one of the founders of 
Bebop, Charlie Parker at the beginning of, of our discussion. Um, and we're going to hear an extension of that style uh, through Clifford Brown pretty soon, hopefully. <laughs> um, but, but jazz itself is evidence of going through this, this process of folk pop fine. It was grounded in Black American culture, okay? But Black American culture was itself influenced by all of the cultures around it. Um, so it's not an isolated thing. Cultures are never isolated. And what you find today to fast forward is you have this flowering of different approaches to jazz where people from around the world upon the foundation of what the basic elements of jazz would be, uh, blues, swing, improvisation, uh, and other uh, devices, give their own interpretation. Now, some people say that we've, we've lost the, the basic um, foundation for a vocabulary, a shared vocabulary, and that's another issue. But the point is that as people put their own stamp or, or work with the form, they add something to it and to the conversation and the dialogue, which was something else you alluded to. Mm -hmm. So um, Murray has the, this book, a set of essays called, called The Hero and the Blues. Yes. Where he introduces his theory uh, of art, uh, which is itself a composite. It's like drawn, it's like a synthesis of other, other thinkers. You mentioned Mal Rowe. Uh, in this in this book, he talks about a number of his influences: um, Hemingway, F Faulkner, um, Thomas Mann, Thomas Mann, especially, yeah, right, Kenneth um, Burke, that's uh, Suzanne Langer, right, and, um, Con Constance Rourke, <laughs> <laughs> and and the uh, I mean the idea is that he sees a basis for like the heroism in this universal sense in. In, in blues music, in, in the culture around the blues, and, uh, and that, that there's something there that we can kind of tap into or learn from, even like in our current circumstances. Like we all know what the blues are, but, <laughs> and, but there's, a, there's, a, there's a kind of an existential, um, an existential sort of moment like built into that that uh that murray talks a bit about and and there's the opportunity for what he calls heroism right so absolutely um anyway why don't we talk then about about uh we brought up a term earlier antagonist antagonistic cooperation right kind of at the heart of of the artistic enterprise and, and especially of the blues absolutely um murray was deeply well-read in world history, world literature, myths and rituals, uh, world theater. I mean, he was grounded in, in, these, uh, in these disciplines as a foundation for his own um, synthesis, as you say, which became uh, a philosophy of sorts. Um, what he does is he he takes an archetype, which is a you know foundational archetype of you know the hero archetype. You know Joseph Campbell um, really brought that archetype to life in, in in many of his his work. And by the way, Murray and Joseph Campbell were friends. Um, 
So Campbell got this idea of antagonistic cooperation from another writer, Heinrich Zimmer. And basically the idea is that you as an individual, you are going to, no matter who you are, you're going to have some blues. There's just no question about it. <laughs> you're going to have some heartbreak. Uh, you're going to experience what Murray called the blues as such, which is, you know, feeling downhearted, sad, maybe even depressed, melancholy, going through some kind of catastrophic experience. Uh, this is inevitable. An election so, got horribly, horribly wrong. <laughs> there's, <laughs> there's plenty of blues, right? Plenty of there, blues. There's plenty of blues to go around for sure. So knowing that, how do you look at it? What's your perspective on it? He looked at, he broke out as Kenneth Burke, from Kenneth Burke, um, a very influential uh, writer and thinker and theorist uh, for both Ralph Ellison and Murray, what he called aesthetic, aesthetic statement in two frames, a frame of rejection, a frame of acceptance. The frame of rejection, and there are a lot of literary forms and even masterpieces from this perspective, it says, look, life is a low-down, dirty shame, and damn it, it shouldn't be that way. And because it shouldn't be that way, we're going to, we're going to protest, we're going to uh, have clients or complaints, we're going to uh, reject those things. Now, that's a, a valid stance. And like I said, if we want to stick to literature, there have been masterpieces written from that frame of reference. But Murray uh, consistently and consciously chose what Burke called the frame of acceptance, which is saying, look, life is going to have challenge. Hopefully, you're going to have a, a balance between challenge and support <laughs> in your life. Um, but it's going to have challenge. So since it's going to have challenge, you can expect that and experience it. How do you look at it? What is your perspective on that? What Murray says is in the same way that great doctors are built by virtue of grappling with and fighting against great diseases, how championship fighters, boxers have sparring partners who give them you know, who give them, you know, pre-fight battles to help them become stronger. They're great hitters in baseball. Um, they have to go against other great pitchers in practice so they can know how to handle sliders and curves and fastballs and that type of thing. Mm -hmm. So we know this. So challenges can become opportunities. Crises, crises can become opportunities to grow to learn, to expand, and become heroic, to actually face a situation where when you, like in, in classic fairy tales, when that dragon appears, that's your opportunity to either shrink and say, that dragon shouldn't be there, or to rise to the occasion, accept the reality of the dragon, and decide, as Jim Brown said to Richard, Richard Pryor, what you going to do? What you going to do? Okay. Murray says, hey, with proper preparation, 
skill um, and understanding, you can actually be heroic. You won't always win. There's tragic heroes who in the end die, but you still have, you still have aspects of, of heroism there. So antagonistic cooperation uh, is, the, is the fundamental concept saying that, hey, uh, even though you have antagonists, it actually cooperates with you to grow and become better and, and rise to the level of, of being a hero. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And that, I mean, that, I think that to me, that comes through really, really strongly in the music, right? Mm-hmm. I, I know that when I hear, say, John Coltrane or... Um, Who'd you yeah, say? John, let's, <laughs> all right. <laughs> yeah. When I hear that, I, I, um, one, you hear the wail and you hear the shriek. You hear the full pain of life like you hear the depths of everything that man knew like at every level of his being come through in that music but it is loud and it's amazing like and it takes you places right so it is actually the like the ultimate like jujitsu it's the ultimate like aikido move because it like incorporates all that like all all that all the blues right the full the full catastrophe catastrophe but then it it turns it out in this new form that is ecstatic and and that is a celebration and affirmation of life that's key to murray's conception of the the purpose and role of art to affirm life itself yes so so that's where the that's where the heroism comes in that's that's where i think there's there's relevance to our political moment because like if you know the it, there, we have a dragon, right? We have the personification or the figurehead or the the, the face of, of a dragon that we're dealing with, and not just in our you know in forty five. You mean you mean, uh, the, you mean the orange haired like like a dragon with like in Game of Thrones, an orange dragon? Go ahead. <laughs> but this is really only one head of right. a headed dragon right. that is much much bigger uh, than this particular um, you know expression of it. Right. And I think that, like, at a fundamental level, we all have to face, like, the uh, magnitude, you know, of the crisis and of the situation that we're in. And like says in the Omni Americans, like, that it's it's better uh, better than, um, you know, just sloganeering and, and resisting and rejecting, better than that. And that may be understandable. It may be uh, you know, really needed on some levels, but better than that is intelligent action and stimulating intelligent action. Absolutely. And, um, well, so that's the situation, like what you're going to do, right? right. Well, one <laughs> of the things I think that I think it would be good since we've been talking about music and it was so central to Murray's uh, conception. I think if we could hear an example of this heroism in action. I mean, there was a, there's a device in jazz and American music. And, and, and by the way, blues is a foundation of American music. And in fact, I would invite you and, and appreciate it if you would stand up and show everyone your shirt. Oh, yeah, all right. Here we go. The blues is the root of everything else. I'm sorry. The blues is the roots. Everything else 
is the fruits. So that says it all. There you go. In terms of the blues, right? Now, there was a particular device in jazz, and it's found in other forms of music too, but we're talking about in jazz, where uh, the music's forward motion ceases for a moment. That's called the break. And that's the moment of truth. That's the moment when, like, the jagged enters in. What are you going to do? So there are great examples of break throughout jazz, breaks throughout jazz history. And I'd like us to hear one by one of the greatest trumpeters of the 20th century, no matter the genre, and certainly one of the greatest jazz trumpeters, and that's Clifford Brown, um, on a song called Cherokee, which is very important in jazz history. Uh, it was a, a, a big band swing tune. Ray Noble played it. Um, da, 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 da and so on as a big band number it turns out that the number is very difficult to improvise on it's a, a 32 bar form a a b a which means that the phrases the melodic phrases in the first eight bars are played then it's repeated for eight then there's a bridge which changes the harmony and goes back to a to the to the first um melodic uh, uh form of 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 the song so that's the form of this song. But Cherokee is a song that's very important in jazz history because it was the song that Charlie Parker made his great discovery. He said, this is Charlie Parker. This is in the late 30s. He had been hearing a sound and he couldn't play what he was hearing. But that one night in a jam session, he was playing on the chord changes of Cherokee. And he started to play on the higher harmonic or higher partials of the chords. Very basically, if you have uh, a chord being one, three, five, seven of a diatonic scale, you go to the nine, the 11, the 13, which is the same as the second, the fourth, and the sixth, but higher an octave up. And so he started playing up there and it freed him. That was part of what became bebop. Clifford Brown plays the same song along with Max Roach. This is the uh, Clifford Brown Max Roach Quintet. And they have an introduction. It's Cherokee. Um, they play an introduction, which is uh, a, a sound portrait of like a, what you think of as a Native American dun 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 intro. Then they play the AABA form of the song, and then it stops and Clifford Brown takes off. So the point is, this is an example of how one, with proper preparation, you can approach the breaks of life with the level of virtuosity and deep feeling that Clifford Brown uh, plays in this example. All right, cool. So I'm going to switch over. I'm going to play this YouTube uh, video and uh, you may, you may have a few words over, over it. Yeah. Okay. All right. Go a couple minutes on this. Uh, uh, I would say exactly two minutes and forty-one seconds. Because right, because at the end of Clifford Brown solo, we can fade on out. Great. And then, how about after that, we open this up? Ed has been okay. on the line, uh, listening very patiently. I'd love to hear okay. reflections, and uh, you know, we can we we can uh, continue the conversation from there. Absolutely. What I would ask you to do is, in the beginning, have the volume a little lower so that when I speak, you can, you can actually hear me 
And then when the melody comes on a little louder, and I just want to identify the break, I'll say break. And then you can turn it up to what you need to be and we'll listen to the flight. All right, I'll do my best on that. Thank you. All right. Uh, here we go. Right, here's the intro. Introduction, Max Roche on drums, Harold Land on tenor sax, Clifford Brown on trumpet. His melody. The second A, repeating that first A. B section, the bridge. Back to A. Imagine being able to do that on the breaks of life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, that's, uh, that's the inspiring thing, I think, for me, for sure, about it is uh, and when I listen to music, um, you know, I get down. <laughs> I get down. Yeah. Like Supposed to. You know, we, get, we get crushed by the news every day and my, right. all my, you know, all my open tabs, all the work I got to do. <laughs> the technology i mean shit and you get you can listen to something like that uh you can dance to it uh and you can share it with other people that's right Uh, and i think it helps you know it doesn't solve all the problems 
but it helps a little bit. And I think it also uh, teaches an attitude. And that's absolutely I talked about is the educational uh, function uh, of the arts and literature. uh, Right. Right. That's right. I want to just share. Let's let's bring in Ed. Yeah. Let's unmute Ed. (laughs) Okay. All right. Hi, Ed. Hi. Um, You can finish your thought, Greg. Thank uh, you, man. Thank you. I just wanted to bring you in. So um, this is from a, I want to share, this is a book called Murray Talks Music, Albert Murray on Jazz and Blues, which is a collection of of interviews with Murray, primarily talking about music. Um, There's an interview that Wynton Marsalis did with uh, with Murray in here, an interview that Murray did with Dizzy Gillespie and others, Billy Eckstein and others, and an interview that I did with him back in 1996. Uh, but from the interview that Wynton Marsalis did with him, um, I want to read to you his response to a question that I think encompasses some of the things we've been saying. Um, Wynton Marsalis says, so Mr. Murray, let's say you're in a time when the expression that's found in jazz, the type of adult expression is no longer prevalent. It's not really viewed as being important in the overall culture. Why would it then be important for the general populace to be informed of the music or for the aspiring musician to know the particulars of this music if they then have to go out of their time frame? It's not that they have to completely go out of it because they still would be dealing with things in their immediate environment but it's not a thing that it's that's celebrated. So it's a thing they have to go out of their way to learn. Murray says, it depends on how serious the artist is. If he's a true artist, he takes his profession as seriously as a priest, as a poet, priest, medicine man. He provides basic existential equipment for living. I'm reading this because of what you said, Marco, about no matter what's going on, you're able to listen to music great art and have that it has that impact on you and he's going to try to do the best there is he's going to read the actuality of his time and determine what is needed and he's going to devote himself to that he's not just out for popularity that's a bastardization of his calling if you consider it a calling any artist is always carrying on an ongoing dialogue with the form that he's particip- that he's practicing in and the things that are there that mean something to him. And each time he adds something, each time he comes up with something valid, it alters the total emotional scale of that form. So he's constantly going back to find out. He doesn't want the important things to be forgotten. He knows that continuity is what he's about. So what do you think, Ed? Um, one of the, one of the things that I've mentioned a lot of times on on uh, infinite conversations and a lot of the posts that I've made that I'm all, I'm always on the lookout. Being a big Gapes fan as I am, I'm always on the lookout for um, integral people, whatever. And if there's one thing that I brought away from this little conversation this evening, is I I finally found one. They're, they're, they're hard to come by. Albert right. Murray definitely, without any hesitation or reservation whatsoever, qualifies. This, this is, uh, the, the word that fell a little earlier was as 
synthesis and being able to bring things together. And one of the concepts that Gapser has that I find so um, enriching is his notion of synirasis, which is not just a synthesis of bringing things together that may be on the same plane or in the, on the same level or whatnot, but the, the ability to grasp something or an idea, notion, whatever it is, from all sides at one time. Right. And in, I would say multidimensionally. And that's, and that's exactly what I hear being said again and again and again. Every time, Greg, you mention something about, well, he was talking about this, but actually this is what's influenced. This is what's coming into that. He was, he was, he was so, it was so embodied in what he did. Yes. It wasn't like it was disconnected or something. That's right. This isn't some idea that he had or it was right. a nice was a nice thought that came up or or it was really a moving um, expression that he had this is <laughs> this is this is a full bodied expression of being yes that i think that i think we have to acknowledge as such and 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 value as such because that is that is <laughs> that is so rare we were talking earlier Marcus and i about a few things that yeah we didn't think were quite up to snuff uh, but this goes way beyond that. This, this is really about a very existentially relevant st- the, the statement of being in, tr- being in truth, the wearing of things, you know, how, how we understand reality. And that's, that's what I hear coming out of, of, of this little discussion so far. Thank you. I, 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 I totally agree. And I appreciate you saying that. Um, for the last, I guess, six, seven years, I've been doing what I can to introduce yeah. Albert, Albert Murray, uh, Ralph Ellison to the integral community through, for example, Integral Life uh, that Corey DeVos uh, edits, is the editor of. I mean, I have content there on Albert Murray and Ralph Ellison because I clearly see that their uh, their level was definitely what inspired dynamics they call second tier. Um, they were definitely vibing and riffing from an integral place where they considered the other levels and they synthesized, but they were able to do it from a perspective where they didn't get caught up in any one of those. They appreciated and they embodied those too, but they were able to really look at it from a meta a perspective yeah. um, and, and, a, and a truly integrative, integrative uh, yeah, perspective. Often, too often we get into that. Well, we've been we've been past that. We did that already. We're moving on, and and they're always and and this is what I I, I keep hearing again and again. They're always bringing it with. There was a nice thing about the piece that you play right at the end, where it starts off with this very Native American rhythm. And when he goes, he he kind of he takes off. But he never he never loses that. It's That's like right. you, you take it with you and let me show you this this is how you can also do this. You see? Exactly. It's not like, it's not like this is something else in addition right. to you exactly. know? right. And, extension, and that, extension, elaboration, yeah. refinement. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was, was absolutely perfect example of it. Huh? Thank you. There, there's all I mean, we didn't say this word, but uh, this is an important concept as well, the idea of improvisation. Oh, right? my goodness, and, and absolutely. Central to jazz, and it's, it's, it was once a big part of 
Western classical music, right. Beethoven known as a, a master improviser, right? Yeah, you know, that's right. Play. Of course, we, we can't hear what he actually played. But the way that that tradition evolved is that it became more static and more about the orchestration and set pieces, which were then right. kind of performed, um, you know, according to what was there on the mm-hmm. notation. But what's, what's great about, about jazz as a form is that it has a kind of structure, right? But then it sets the stage for improvisation, both on the collective level of all the players, but then also on the individual level. And it allows space for the individual to, you know, to that's do right. their thing. Um, Absolutely. And that's what to we do all... That, to, to put your, as Murray would say, to put your own statement on the epidermis of actuality. Mm-hmm. Okay, <laughs> that's a Murrayism, and and and, and, what, and what that actually means is that, uh, in a cosmic sense, you know, we we've got entropy that is surrounding us. You know, that the tendency of things to become random that's always there. But can you stylize uh, your feelings and your expression in such a way that you still make put a put a stamp? on that reality, even though, yes, if you just leave it be, things will become random uh, and chaotic. But you can, through your stylization, through your improvisation, uh, can put a, put a stamp on it and, and make a statement that can help and influence other people across time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's an important point, Greg, because when I... When I get reactions from most people, go, oh, I don't like jazz. It's too chaotic. <laughs> <laughs> and then you realize, but, but, but when you stop for a moment, just like you just said, you put your stamp on. There is, there's order in that chaos. It's not just That's a, right. a maybe imagined order. It's, there's an actual order in that chaos. It's, it's what it brings that, which was before with. It takes it on to something else, but it's still there. Um, things aren't as entropic as we like to, or we fear that they must be. Right. That's right. Yeah. Improvisation was, was essential, of course, to jazz uh, and was a, a, a key principle in his whole framework. In fact, at the end of uh, the Here in the Blues, um, which uh, Marco mentioned, he puts on a very high plane. And I'm actually looking for, I have the quote here, um, that I, I'd like to share because I think it's so key. Let's see here. Oh, where do we have? Okay. This is, this is the final, this is what he calls the out chorus. So this is the final statement in the hero and the blues, which is a relatively small book. I mean, it's 107 pages, three parts, but it is packed with wisdom. So this is the, the ending of, of uh, the hero and the blues. But perhaps above all else, the blues-oriented hero image represents the American embodiment of the man whose concept of being able to live happily ever afterwards is most consistent with the moral of all dragon encounters. Improvisation is the ultimate human, i.e. heroic, endowment. It is indeed. And even as flexibility or the ability to swing or to perform with grace under pressure is the key to that unique competence that generates the self-reliance and thus the charisma of the hero, 
And even as infinite alertness become dexterity is the functional source of the magic of all master craftsmen, so may skill in the art of improvisation be that which both will enable contemporary man, and by which he means men, men and women, to be at home with his sometimes tolerable but not quite certain condition of not being at home in the world, and will also dispose him to regard his obstacles and frustrations as well as his achievements in terms of adventure and romance. Mm -hmm. That's a lot to chew on there. <laughs> well, you know, tell you, go ahead, Ryan. No, 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 please, please. The thought that I just had when I, when I was listening to that, I want to know why I didn't know about this when I was tutoring strategy on mm. MBA. Mm. Because this, mm. this, that, that, that yes. is, I hear all this, this, excuse me, crap about leadership these days. Right. But, but now, this, that's what you need to know. If you're going to lead, go slay a dragon. Okay. Right, right, right. If you and, haven't, and, I don't want to hear about it. And we know that the man baby hasn't slain any dragons yet. Right, <laughs> right, right, right. Um, so, you know, it was really interesting that I heard a little bit of your conversation and I thought it was very interesting before we started. I want you to know that um, I'm actually uh, developing a program in which jazz is used as a model and metaphor for leadership, mm -hmm. team synergy, and diversity and inclusion. Okay. Hmm. Yeah. There, there we go. We've often, like, we've often talked about mind jazz, like, and mm. oh, William Irwin Thompson. I love his yeah. Thompson's uh, phrase, mind jazz. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's kind of what we're doing here. Like, that's right. You know, a bit of a jam session, but yes. like, you know, I'm working on a cooperative, like, and uh, yeah. so, I mean, the whole organ, the organizational premise behind this, this podcast and other, the forum and other things we're doing is to cooperate with a bunch of artists. So yes. a bunch of very individual people who, uh, have, can often have a adver adversity, uh, right. Uh, That's right. To cooperate mm -hmm. because individualistic but there's actually incredible power if you can get uh antagonists to cooperate mm -hmm. yes get that creative friction going and that's what you get there's this like in the jazz players there's a little competition too right oh absolutely there's a whole tradition of that you mentioned the jam session i mean there are legendary stories mm -hmm. of master improvisers who go to a town and the local guys are standing and wait. Oh, you're the great Coleman Hawkins or you're the great Charlie Parker. Okay. Deal with this. I mean, this is a part of the tradition and this, this relates to frankly, our American enterprise system and the, and the competitive aspect uh, that's right in our own culture. You know, I mean, our legal system is adversarial, you know, so this is really built in. And, hey, you either can stand and take it. And there are times when you might get your butt whipped, but you learn from it. You lick your wounds, you learn from it, and you keep going. 
Right. But it's a non-destructive form of competition. Yes. That's, that's the thing. Because uh, business competition is a destructive form. You have to crush your opponent. You have to mm. do those things. This is a non, It's like you said, because you learn from that. There, there's nothing better than having a master show you how it's done. And you go, oh, oh, oh exactly. Okay. Oh, now, now I'm starting to, okay, I think I have an idea what this is about. That's right. I mean, there are shows. There's a show. What's the, the name of the show? Um, martial arts is very strong uh, in this mm -hmm. particular show. And I've read this, but in this particular show, whose name I can't remember, yeah. <laughs> one of the young upstarts, powerful, goes up against the master. And the master just, you know, with ease, blocks, parries, hits and so at the end you know you're saying master teach me <laughs> you know what i'm saying yeah. so so that's going back to that old medieval model of the educational process being based on apprentice journeyman mm -hmm. master craftsman yeah. Yeah. you know what i mean this is this is, these are so these, these are so fundamental that in our postmodern age we get far away from these things but they're they're really embedded embedded yeah. in Western civilization um, and, and embedded in human civilization yeah. in terms of the yeah. educational way we uh, transmit culture. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. yeah. Um, well, I mean, yeah, that's, that's what I was thinking about the, I mean, about that example of the, the, the jazz man coming to town is that yes. like they're, they're competing, but they're making music. Yes. That's right. Today, you're creating culture. Actually, that's you're not right. Destroying lives, you know, you're no. right. Creating something that transcends the individual, and the individual gets to shine in the process of that creation, or not shine, right? Like, mm -hmm. but but they'll, they'll you know, here she'll come back and they'll keep working on it if they're a true artist. You know, that's right, and it's a model for people in the audience because they're grooving it. I mean, it's like when you play sports yeah. or you watch great athletes. If you were an athlete yourself, you admire these professionals who take what you have some experience with and take it to another level of mastery. And it's like you watch in boxing. And if, you, if you're into boxing, I know some people are not into boxing, but if you watch boxing, you end up like flinching and stuff because as you watch something <laughs> and relate to it, you know, it's like you. It, so that's why the power of visualization, you know, in the brain the power of visualization and visioning, you're, you're actually taking your mind through the steps. So when you see and visualize something, it's like you're doing it. So when you see a great, great musicians performing, it models for you what mastery can actually be, you know, mm -hmm. and, you, and you can participate in that. And I got to say that today in business, there are movements yeah. towards uh, – transforming from this top-down command and control model. There are many models we've heard about, holacracy yeah, yeah. and other, a holarchy. Um, this agile, both in terms of software development and as an as a operational and management approach. There are many approaches or, or examples in business of a paradigm shift that's actually going on. So I know we kind of dog out the destructive aspects. Shumper mm -hmm. talked about, you know, the destructive aspects of, of, of creation uh, in capitalism. But hey, there's also other models and paradigms that are now in development and they have strong corollaries to jazz. 
They, they do. And I think that's, the, that's a, a point well worth reinforcing is we hear, we always hear about, it's like the mainstream media. You only hear about the bad things. You never right. hear about things that are actually worthwhile. Right. You know, once I'd like to see a news report on one of these very critical news shows about what cooperatives are actually doing to exactly. support what's right. going on in the neoliberal capitalistic capitalism, you know, without enemy, you know, kind of thing. Right. Uh, we hear more about that. And, and, and the thing that I, that I like, and this was the thing that I, I think we can also, one of the things we can take from this is there's always something going on beneath the surface. Mm. And it doesn't matter where, whether anybody's acknowledging it or not. Mm -hmm. It's going on and people are doing it. That's Nobody right. asked jazz musicians if it was like, okay, or they didn't need sanctioning for what they were doing. That's right. You just exactly. Do, That's you do right. what you do where you are, when you are. Period. That's right. Whatever exactly. that is, is the right thing to be doing. That's you right. Your others may see it, they may not, but you have to right. keep working at it. And that's, exactly. That to me is is such an important part of, of how how do we come to terms with this, our oversaturated, overstimulated everyday life? Is Absolutely. I mean, I'm a professional journalist, um, mm -hmm. both print and uh, I've done radio, I've done mm -hmm. television, and I'm very clear that the function of mainstream media is to keep your eyeballs there and your attention by focusing on conflict, by focusing on the negative so yeah. that the reptilian brain with the flight or flight response yeah, yeah. is what's triggered. Okay. Yeah. So when you said earlier, I was listening that you have disengaged yourself from a lot of that stuff. Yeah. I have also, particularly yeah. since this election of, of uh, 45 and his administration, because the my, my, my colleagues, though I'm not a political yeah. commentator, but my colleagues were so far off base yeah. in their predictions that I said, you know something, uh, as you're as you're giving your opinions about stuff, I'm not going to give you nearly the credence that I might have given you. In fact, I'm not even going to listen to what you have to say. I'm going to focus on what I have to do out here to achieve my particular destiny for me and my family and and larger. Right. You know? Yeah. Uh, we need to be a lot. We need to be doing a lot more and hearing a lot less, not necessarily listening a lot less. We mm. still have to listen because there are things that need to be heard. Right. It's like Murray's one of these, you, you got, you got to, you got to hear this, you know, <laughs> no. and and it's, it's like, yeah, you got to hear this. It's not like you have to <laughs> listen to this. No, you have to hear yeah. this. Right. Yeah, exactly. Right. So it's but to hear, but to hear it, you, yeah, but to hear it, you got to listen. See, no, I know. So, but, uh, but now, now the thing is I was going to say, got to hear that, it. No, you got it right. That's the first step. Uh, that, yeah, that, that's the entry point. But you know, but yeah. but that listening thing is really key, both to key. to leadership, yeah, to teamwork yeah. and team yeah. synergy, and to jazz. One of the things that Went Marsalis talks about all the time is how listening is so key to jazz. When you when you have a jazz group interacting, you have distributed and shared leadership. Because you may have a person in front whose name is on the bill, mm -hmm. but when they solo, 
they're sharing that leadership. So when someone's out front and they're making their statement, the rest of the group is supporting them, but they're also challenging them at the same time. Mm-hmm. So it has that dynamic. But to be able to interact and improvise together on a high level, you got to listen. You got to listen. He who has ears, let him hear. Yes, yes. <laughs> That's right. Yes. All right. Well, we're uh, we're getting kind of close to the time we said we'd be wrapping up. Okay. Um, the, the reflection that's been kind of coming through, I wanted to get it out. Uh, and it has to do with what with this listening piece, this listening mm-hmm. and hearing piece. You got to hear it to be able to know what to listen to. Yeah. <laughs> Once you hear it, you got to listen to it to hear what's really being said. Right. But I think the thing that's underlying that, and if to bring it back around to what Ed and I were speaking of before we started the you know the formal conversation, but then also what Craig, you and I started off speaking about, which was uh, which was the our present political moment and why Murray is relevant to us. Yes. And I think that what ties it together is this notion of culture. Mm. Because what I think is happening is that in some is that we've forgotten mm. society, maybe as a civilization, we've mm. forgotten how to make culture. Mm. Uh, we don't have a culture anymore. We have information, mm. uh, we have media, yeah. uh, we have uh, experiences, but the, the, the sense of a culture that actually serves you that is a is a functional sphere of activity and of human life that you can that that nurtures you or nourishes you so that you can face the dragons you can face the demons you can do what you need to do to be alive that is the part that seems to have have been broken down Mm -hmm. uh and what i see as one of the the values of reading albert murray in, in this age is that He's somebody that got, gave a lot of thought into how culture constitutes itself yeah. and what culture really does for us. And also, like, what's good culture? Yes, <laughs> you know? right. Because yeah. right. right? Because, so, because one of the things that, just, just jumping right quick, you know, one of the things about postmodernism is that there's a fear or a um, tendency to not want to have hierarchies, to not want to put one thing higher than another, uh, which we know where that came from, from the excesses of the previous stage, which yeah. is biodynamics is orange. orange. We, we, we understand that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but my goodness, without having some sense of quality and differentiation and levels, yep. I mean, what are you going to have? So you so so that's why getting to another stage of consciousness or level of consciousness where we can look at the previous stages, appreciate them, critique them for the negatives, but be in a place where we try to embrace the positive aspects of them, avoid the negative, while we get to a critical mass or a tipping point where enough of us have this level of understanding where we can influence the overall culture. It starts small. It starts small. It doesn't have to be millions and millions of people, you know, 
And, and that's why I appreciate the work that you're doing, Marco, man, because mm-hmm. this, this collective that you that you're putting together grounded in arts, culture, spirituality. It is so important, man. So mm-hmm. I'm glad to be a part of it. I thank you for inviting me on and um, I wish you much success. And I hope to help that uh, in any way I can. I uh, really appreciate this and I hope we can do it again. Uh, sure. Treat this as one jam session. It's really our first. So Right. And, I mean, I kind of see it as practice. These are sort of practice, public practice sessions. Okay. I want want part of this culture, like this cooperative culture, to be like we can talk about shit. Right. (laughs) Absolutely. And and we can make music. That's right. Through our conversations. So I feel like, you know, we we kind of did a little bit of that today. We did. did. I think we did a lot of it. No, we did. (laughs) All right. Well, this let, is let me, I like as I like to say, Marco. This was time well spent. Mm, I agree. <laughs> I agree. All right. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna outro us on the rest of that song. The, okay. Uh, cool. Okay. Yeah, Clifford Brown. Cool. Let's pick that back up, and uh, and then when when it's over, I'll just kind of turn turn off the beat. Yeah, and we can All go right. off. Uh, cool. I'll let you know when it's posted, of course, and. Uh, we'll get to hear this. Absolutely. All right. Thank you. Now. Thank you. It was great, guys. I agree. <laughs>